We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And much like Haley's Comet, this is the year Manchester City has decided not to win it. So it's still on. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Alex Smith, the Goodbye Man's Twitter Yankee Gunner. That's right. Uh, once every 72 years, Manchester City decides they don't want to win the League Cup. And uh, this is one of those years. They were knocked out by West Ham on penalties, quite hilariously. Um, it was great. I really enjoyed the uh, the way that shook out. Now, that doesn't mean it's easy. There's lots of good, challenging fixtures uh, ahead that remain. Cup ties waiting for us. Uh, in the quarterfinals. We will find out about that maybe when you're listening to this or after when you're listening to this, but as of right now, we don't know it yet. But Arsenal are through a 2-0 victory over Leeds. And um, I think one that could be you know, pretty interesting to discuss because we got to see some players that many of us have forgotten or would like to forget play for Arsenal, players like Kolasinac and, and Elneny perhaps. But we got to see players that there's still a lot of interest around. Certainly Martinelli and Pepe are two we are going to discuss. Eddie and Kedia scored a wonder goal that was very close to being a disaster. Um, and we had a Benjamin White performance for the ages, a Callum, Ch- a Callum Chambers goal. So yeah, all things being equal, I think a little more to discuss than the average League Cup. And the winning streak carries on, and that's great, and we're still basking in the glow of the hilarious uh, 5-0 defeat Manchester United at home to Liverpool. If you want more on that, we did our Premier League roundup with Clive and Lewis Ambrose on the Patreon side, discussing them, the top three, uh, the state of the race for the top four, which is now a thing that I think is back on for us. So all of that is there if you want it, but most importantly, you're here. We love you, and so is Tim. You can find him on Twitter, at Stoberto. Hello, Timmy! Hello there. Uh, I am not ridiculing your name by saying that. That is what you have typed into the little window where I see you appear in the studio. So it was a uh, self, self-ridicule, self I, I think, in this case. Indeed, indeed. I can confirm that. Yep. I would say that self-ridicule is always, ridicule is always the safest way to go because it sort of cuts the legs out of anyone who might have thought to do it subsequently. Paul is just here as Paul, so I will introduce him as Paul. You can find him on Twitter. Pause my pants. I'll pause. Woohoo. Woohoo, indeed. Come on, man. You can bring a bigger woohoo f- for, for the win in the League Cup than that. Maybe woo-hoo. keeping your yeah, powder dry for Saturday morning was good. Was good. Was fun. Um, well, so so here's the interesting thing. I find myself in a very strange position. And dear listener, as you will know, 
I am just so attuned to picking out all of the positives of a performance. And yet I find myself drawn to two of the potentially less positive features of this game um, that I really do think are hotly debated and important to discuss. And that would probably be, pretty obviously, the performances of Pepe and Martinelli that leave something to be desired and they're being talked about a lot. But because we won, and it was a fun occasion, let's just push that back slightly and go with some of the positives. And Tim, I think one of the real positives is we continue to see from Benjamin White a player who seems to be growing into this role as being, you know, one of the leaders in the team, one of the guys who's going to be in there as often as he's available, it seems. And mm-hmm. uh, it was later uh, announced that I think Pablo Marie had a stomach bug and would have played otherwise, but Benjamin White did play and did leave himself with that bug later in the game. So no injury there. That's good. But just a really, really fun performance from him doing the things that I think were attractive about him when we sort of scouted him in the summer, which is carrying the ball out past that first line of defense and really setting things on on a plate for the attackers. So if you had to pick out one of the the starting players who really impressed you, is he the first name? He'd, he'd be very close, yeah. And actually, um, after the Palace game, because I really wasn't impressed with his part in one of the goals Palace scored, where I thought... God, you've got the David Luiz thing where if you back dropping off, off anymore, yeah, you'll be you'll be hailing a cab on the Holloway Road if you keep <laughs> dropping off anymore. And um and and uh, yeah, I wasn't that impressed by that. And and I had um a discussion in another Arsenal WhatsApp group I'm in. Sorry guys, uh, I've been cheating on you. Um, but what are you going to do? Where I kind of said has he been a bit shit so far or am I being really really harsh? Like not shit, but like just quite average and I wasn't that impressed with I mean I was still kind of I think a little bit hurt should we say by that goal but I was kind of saying I haven't seen any of this passing um or this Mm. kind of driving out from the back that we're supposed to get with with this guy and if he can't defend as well then what have we spent the money on but like I, I wasn't, I wasn't in full meltdown mode. I was kind of, you know, this is still very early. Um, he's, you know, he's forming a new partnership, a new club, and everything like that. So I wasn't, I wasn't in write-off stage. But I was thinking, so far, I've been kind of unimpressed. Um, that's really changed the last two games. Like that's really switched around the last two games. I thought he was excellent against Villa. Um, you know, being really aggressive and uh, kind of coming out of the line. Um, and not backing off, doing the exact opposite of backing off. In fact, if it, <laughs> backing if it, on? yeah, exactly. Like uh, at one point, I thought he was going to shove Ollie Watkins into the north bank um, at some stage. <laughs> like so far, was he pushing him away from the goal? He was going to send him out to Holloway Road for a cab. I thought, yes, this is you know this is better. But what I loved in this game that I don't think I've really seen yet is the driving out as well, because it, it's one thing to be able to pass the ball, but um, driving out like that that that's such a that's such an underrated skill for a center half and um about 18 months ago I did, I did an interview with uh with Leah Williamson from the women's team who I, who I know pretty well and um she's like very renowned for her passing out from the back but one of the things she said she'd really worked on was like being able to dribble out because once people get wise to the fact that you can pass they block you and um she was kind of saying actually defenders do get quite a bit of space um, to to really drive out because it's it's the not that it's the last it, it's the thing that they're not prepared for they're prepared to press you and hurry you in possession they're prepared to block your passing lane but when you kind of zip past them 
they're thinking, ah, oh, hang on, we hadn't really prepared for that. Like pressing doesn't stop that. That then I actually have to like put a tackle in or or foul you or something, and it really commits defenders. And it reminds me a lot of people might remember the in the two thousand four five season we played away at Portsmouth and Sol Campbell scored the winner when he just larruped one in from thirty yards. And he was asked about it after the game, and he kind of said, "Well, we spoke at half time, and Portsmouth were sat so deep that Arson told the centre backs like come out because." You know, you're the only guys that have got space here. And and I think that can happen with centre-backs. And if you've got a centre-back that can drive out, we saw Colo Torre do it a lot as well in that same kind of period. I think it's such a big weapon and it's something that's really, really underutilised. Mm. And and I thought he really surprised... Even Leeds, who know him really, really well, I thought it really kind of caught them off guard a little bit because the game is so structured nowadays I think dribbling is a massive massive skill to kind of unhinge and unstructure a game and if your centre-backs are doing it that's great so I'd love to see more of that from Benjamin White and maybe his rebrand has helped as well maybe that's um that's behind this little miniature uptick that I think I've observed yeah I mean maybe Ben White is just not a very good player. But Benjamin White is super elite, as we like to say. So, I mean, that that certainly holds. I don't see any reason why that wouldn't be the case. If, if yeah. he can go to Benny Blanco, then I think then we've got like a Van Dyke-level defender there. It, there's no question that just evolving his name into something more dynamic is going to totally change what we get from the player. And this is the level of analysis, by the way, that you come here for. Um, no, Tim, I, the interesting thing is, this is a little reductive because it's such a small sample size, but you could also point to the fact that Arsenal against Palace, against Brighton, you know, in some of these games, sitting a little deeper, letting our lines get compressed, and so then the room isn't available in front of a central defender to stride out, right? Because he's basically striding into all the pressure that's being heaped on you. But against Villa, where we pushed out more, against Leeds, where we sort of let the accordion stay expanded, so to speak, there's that space in front of you, and then those midfielders are pinning the attacker's back a little, so now he's got room to stride into. So we've created space for him to go exploit. I'm happy for him because, you know, we did go play for Leeds, and th- that was a club that wanted him. And, I, you know, I think it was, um, you know, it was nice, a nice opportunity for him to really shine against uh, a, a club he had played for. Paul, I don't want to shut you out of the Benny Blanco conversation, Benjamin White conversation. Certainly not Ben White conversation. That's not who he is anymore. Um, but I do think also that, you know, one thing that I had hypothesized about and talked about a little bit and been pretty much rudely shut down by everybody uh, who either interacts with me on social media or on this podcast about the idea of um, Tomiyasu potentially being our third best center back in addition to our starting right back. And, you know, what would happen in the event that one of our starting center backs is absent? And I think a lot of that is due to the scars, the wounds of seeing Holding and Pablo Marie at the beginning of the season and not feeling very confident in that. So I think it's great that Holding comes in with Benjamin White and puts in a really solid performance and looks really assured and that partnership looks like it works because it it is just nice to sort of get a reminder that we aren't one, or look, I don't want to overstate this, but we aren't one center back injury from potentially being you know, into, into a, a possibly really bad situation. So seeing Holding have a partnership with, with Benjamin White in this game that looked pretty competent and comfortable, I thought was a really nice sign um, of depth at a position where maybe there were some question marks. So do, do you agree that that, not just Benjamin White having a good game, but holding impressing was nice to see as their partnership develops? Um, well, I, hadn't, I haven't had the same concerns over holding 
that that maybe are out there. I mean, he played 2,500 minutes for us in the Premier League last year, um, which puts him basically number one. I think he's number two in terms of minutes in the Premier League last year by just a few minutes. Uh, Chaka and Saka are up there. Um, but they're all basically on the same minutes. He played He played so much last year, and I think he was fairly consistent. And it's a little bit, look, it de- depends on who his partner was. And uh, I think with Gabriel coming into his own and being able to provide additional cover, um, it leaves the suspect man in the equation, uh, if you're playing Cluedo as as. Pablo Mari is the is the guy who's given every other centre back trouble, and even he looked better last year. So maybe he'll get a little better when we see him again eventually, sometime. Can I quickly reveal something funny that happened to me on the instant reaction pod? Yes, that you were there for. Yes, um, I, I think I I put the <laughs> I killer str- blow in. <laughs> I was struggling for a take because it's the instant reaction pod, and we needed a stock falling, and I, we we only came up with two, so it fell to me to come up with a take, and I I kind of like threw Pablo Marie out there, and then I I was feeling my oats, so I was like, oh, I'm gonna really go now with this take, and I was like, yeah, Pablo Marie, you know, because because Tommy Asu could play center back and holding, and you know what. I wonder if Pablo Marie will play another minute for us this season. And then literally as I'm like formulating this, this idea and I'm putting it out there and I'm getting increasingly uh, pleased with myself about it. News breaks um, potentially from a, a fellow podcaster that actually Pablo Marie was slated to start this very game, but had a stomach <laughs> bug. So it, it did throw a bit of a wrench in the, in the take I was building, but I, I was glad to be set straight. So I just thought I'd, I'd take that embarrassment and share it widely. Yeah, look, I think even Pablo Marie is going to look better with a better centre-back beside him um, and the state we were in at the start of this season. So I think holding will be fine and will play a role this year. The the one problem he's got is Ben White. Uh, I'm sticking with Ben White, by the way. He can rebrand if he likes, just like Dan Burns. I'm not switching just because you pointed out there's no S on the end. It's not my fault. <laughs> Stick that, that's guy. Paul, the guy who refuses to call Welcome. people by the name they would like to be called. Let's just yeah. be clear about that. That's a Paul thing. That is not a this podcast thing. Yeah, uh, I was a bit like that with Bellerin. I mean, you all went with your Bayerins, and I'm like, oh, fuck off. It's too late. You know, once I've invested myself in the name, that's their name. Um, mm. Right, so uh, where was I? Yeah, Ben White never gets injured, so there, there there's a jinx. Uh, but he never gets injured, so... He can play all day long, every day. He played in the championship. Uh, what do they play? 46 games. 100. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not only did he have 46 starts, he played every minute for 40. That was his first ever season at kind of a top-level club in a top-level league, uh, the championship. And then he came to Brighton and he missed like a game or two because he got a red card and I can talk you through why he got that red card it was the right red card to take it was a double yellow saved his team from conceding a goal but he had to hack somebody down so he lost a game or so and basically he plays every minute of every game that any manager ever wants him to play so there he is jinxed for you so that's that's Holding's real problem um, but he played on the left in this, so that's kind of interesting. So if anything happens with Gabriel, and we hope he's robust and fit and settled in and, and can last the whole season, that might be Holding's next best bet because it won't be Ben White. Um, look, I the other thing is, having watched a lot of Ben White at Leeds, I think I watched 13 or 14 games of him doing his thing, 
Um, I'm just very used to him, very settled with him. He's going to continue to do things that that upset you guys because you think centre-backs are all about defending um, and should be good at it. And he's Which is most- weird considering how much disdain I have for playing defensive football, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, but he will continue to do the, a thing every now and then where uh, uh, I will say something like, um, sometimes he doesn't look like a centre-back. He looks like a midfielder playing centre-back. But football's just so much better when he's playing it. And I know you guys are really into this striding out thing. He does that on average once a game if, based on what I've seen before. So that's not enough for me. What's enough for me, though, is his passing, his chill on the ball, how we'll play with him at the back, the fact that uh, he allows us or he gives the manager enough courage to push our team up the field with him and... Um, What's his face? Gabrielle will play a high line, more aggressive. We'll just play better football with Ben White on the pitch. I'm surprised you guys haven't warmed to his passing until the last game or so. Like I, I definitely, I can't tell you which games. There was one in the, in the uh, who did we just play? Aston Villa. The, he had a left-footed chip uh, from midfield. You'll also find distribution-wise, he's going to be the guy when you get at the pass maps. He'll be the centre back who's standing in the middle of the pitch. Uh, from pass maps. It might look like that during the game, but actually he takes the central position for distribution and Gabrielle will be pushed over to the left a bit. Um, yeah. And he's he's had a few really eye-catching passes um, and he'll have one or two of those a game, I think, based on what I've seen before. So yeah. I'm just very settled into who he is. I really like what he's going to do for us. He'll have his moments. Yeah, I mean, the, the interesting thing is it, the data analysis of him coming in was that he was elite with the ball at his feet, carrying it forward. The passing data was a lot more suspect. Not bad, mm. just not... I remember that, yeah. Not sort of the elite ball progressor that is sort of played played up that he is. And I think one of the reasons the eye test and the data tell different stories is, to your point, Ben White will play one or two really eye-catching, big, long switches or balls over the top in a game. But it's all the other passes that are, you know, yeah, yeah. pretty run of the mill, pretty meat and drink, and that's okay. I mean, your center back doesn't have to be pinging line breakers twenty yards, you know, in his own fourteen every time they touch the ball. I, I am, admittedly, impressed by him recently. I, I think, like Tim, there have been uneven moments. What's funny is he's had some games. I'll probably get it wrong. Maybe it was Burnley, where, or maybe it was even Brighton, where he was really, really good. Def- what was the one where he had the mare on the ball? He had it taken from him, but. He was really good defensively. Brighton, he was had that- a tough game because they cut off his passing lanes and stuff. Yeah, I don't think that's the one I'm thinking of, though. Tim, do you remember there was one where he he, he had a couple of that, bad games? That might have Burnley? been Burnley, yeah. Yeah, what, deep sort of in the right half space, he got trapped there. Burnley, yeah, yeah, no, it was Burnley. Burnley um, really marked him tightly, but what they kind of did was left party free because they didn't realize we were going to play party deeper. But what happened was in the second half when Burnley, you know, as you'd expect, came with the aerial bombardment, he stood up to it really well. Yeah, and and that's the point, right? Like, he's had weird games in the sense that, like, that game, he was really physically dominant in the box. And then he's had games like Villa where, on the ball, he's just been he's been a big contributor. I, look, I, I think we can all agree the direction of travel with him is up, as is the, the group generally. And I feel really good about where he's going and what he's done recently. So whether, you know, your mileage may vary on some of the earlier performances, like them, dislike them, whatever the case may be, I think there's consensus about the direction of travel. And I think 
we can push the Eddie and Kedia conversation back a little because 18 minutes in, there's really no getting around the, the fact that a lot of the noise after this game was related to Pepe and Martinelli. I think it is sort of unfortunate grouping them because, Tim, Nicola Pepe is an extravagant, extravagantly acquired potential star who came with big hype, is now in the heart of his prime, and needs to be delivering his best possible football right now. That's where he is in his career. The other is almost a punt on a young player who immediately showed really elite potential. Missed a year with what can be a very, very bad injury, actually. Mm. And hasn't had much opportunity since coming back and is only now trying to get back to that at an age which, by the way, is still younger than ML Smith-Rowe. So sort of comparing the two, I I think, is a little uncomfortable because there's such different situations career-wise. But let's try to work through them. I'll let you talk Martinelli first. Mm. There, It's always dangerous to over-index some of the stuff you read on social media and chat rooms. Like I was in the Discord, and there's a lot of Martinelli slander. And, you know, oh, remember when you thought he was elite? Ha ha, you know, this guy can't trap a ball. And, like, I will accept that he has had a poor start to the season and had a poor game here. I just can't get there yet with the drawing conclusions on a player of his age that's flashed his potential. So what's your take, to be fair, on the performance, but also on where we're going with this player? Yeah, sure. It was a 6 out of 10 performance. And to be honest, for all of the players coming into a team like this, when A, you're not playing, and B, you then come into a team that doesn't really ever play together. I mean, have the, like, Enketia, Martinelli, Pepe, is that a front three that's ever played together before? Um, I'm not sure it is. Maybe it has, but... Yeah, and then, oh, by the way, you put players like El Neni and Colasinac around them. Yeah, 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 exactly. And like a midfield, yeah, a midfield pairing of El Neni and Maitland-Niles behind them and, yeah, Kolasinac behind them. You know, it's it's not quite as good and it's not as fluid and they're not together and they've all, like, not really played very often. So it's really difficult for players to impress in that environment. You look at Tavares. Tavares impressed against Villa because he came into the first team um, and and that's that's much easier. I think that's a much easier environment. I wasn't expecting any of those players to really impress, and I don't. I think they were all, you know, Elneny, Kalasinac, Martinelli, Inketi, or even. I think they were all pretty six out of ten, and it was really just it was more a kind of fitness exercise and, and keeping them ticking over. It was interesting you referenced Martinelli's age in uh, comparison with Smith Rowe. Because if I were Martinelli, I would really be looking at Smith Rowe as an inspiration because, again, people keep forgetting that Smith Rowe came through like three years ago now and he was playing those Europa League games and he was scoring in the Europa League group stage and he was doing really well. And then we sent him on loan to Leipzig and then he was injured for about a year, Mm -hmm. basically. And uh, probably even more because when he went on loan to Huddersfield, he was, you know, still feeling his way back in fitness wise. And that was a really useful loan. Not so much, actually, I think, for the first team experience, although I, I do think that was probably valuable. I think more just fitness, just blowing away some of those cobwebs for him. So that that's a really like because Martinelli could have a very similar trajectory as someone who burst onto the scene at 18, gets an injury, goes away for a year and then kind of comes back and goes again. I, I think the the truth is with Martinelli, um, he's I, I think it's right to group him with Pepe, actually. And I think it will be interesting to see if a decision is made about who to give minutes to between Martinelli and Pepe, whether you get to a stage where you go, do you know what? This is the player Pepe is always going to be. 
maybe we give those minutes to Martinelli because we think he can be something else. Um, with Pepe, I don't. I've, I've, I think I said a few weeks ago on the product. I just don't see any other conclusion to his Arsenal career than seeing out his contract um, and just being this player for the next two years. Um, and it was. You interesting. don't think there's like a thirty or thirty-five million pound bid for him somewhere that we that we sort no. of reluctantly shake our head and just take? No. 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 I, I don't see that. Um, I, I'd be quite happy because I'd be quite happy to just. Um, I, I think there's a lot of um, talent in Pepe, but I've I've given up on the idea that he'll be anything other than like quite a skittish player. Um, but with with Martinelli, I, I listened to the Instant Reaction pod, and it's interesting because you guys gave him a stock down, which is exactly what I'd have done uh, had I been on uh, the pod. But then when I listened to it, I thought, well, actually, what he's getting, he's getting a stock down because he's got a stock neutral, um, where he hasn't really done anything wrong. He's done nothing wrong in this performance. He's a, a, maybe a little bit listless in six out of ten. A little but it slow to deliver, like when he cuts inside. Yeah, he's got yeah. Some options. It wasn't wasn't bad. I agree. Just not. Yeah, yeah. Some exactly. opportunities. Yeah. But like the the reason it was a stock down for him is because it wasn't a stock up, and that's the situation he's in at the moment, where minutes are at such a premium for him. Every time it's he plays, point. he has to do something amazing. And and that's quite a difficult decision to be uh, position to be in, and you can see it in his game as well. Like like Clive said on the instant reaction pod, he's trying too hard to impress. But what else is he supposed to do really? Because if he just goes out and plays seven out of ten and doesn't really try to do anything, he knows he's not going to get in the team. So it's a difficult bind for him to be in. I I think what I've always thought that the reality for Martinelli's Arsenal career is he's going to have to wait out a couple of those guys because. If, if not entirely in style, in intent, he's just so similar to Aubameyang and Pepe in terms of being like quite an end producty player and not a build-up player. And you can't really, particularly in, in an Arteta team, I don't think, I'm not sure you can really have more than one player if you're going to play a front three like that. The the glimmer of light for the, the two glimmers of light for him are obviously January when a couple of those players go away and that gives him a chance. Um, but the real glimmer of light for him should be the Aston Villa game, actually. And I know we said it on the post-Villa pod. Uh, well, you guys said it, sorry, on the post-Villa pod. If, you know, if we move, if we play that kind of, like, you know, guess 4-4-2 um, type, type kind of system, again, where we're concentrating on high pressing, I can ab- absolutely see him as either one of the players in that front two. I could mm. see him doing the Lacazette role <laughs> or the Aubameyang role. And and that's where he might think, ah, okay, if there's a role for a second striker here, that's that's probably quite a good role for me right now. But really, his primary target should be, I'm, I need to take Pepe's minutes. That's what I need to do right now. I need to get ahead of Pepe and then maybe worry about the rest of it later. Yeah, and it, it did also look in this game like things were just kind of going up the right-hand side a little more. I think Emil Smith-Rowe maybe drifted to the right a bit more and, and did a little bit more work on Pepe's side. I mean, to be fair to Pepe, he did get an assist in this game. I don't think heading the ball across the box is anything that we need to like, you know, watch on replay on a YouTube highlight reel in 4K or anything, but like he did do it. He took three shots. He had two key passes. So... And, you know, and passed at 88.9%. The frustration with Pepe is different from Martinelli for me in that I thought Pepe's game was sort of punctuated by 
exciting moves up that right-hand side that ended with him doing that thing he does where he's way too predictable cutting inside on his left foot, way too slow to distribute when the chance is there, and then the opportunity goes begging. But often it was an opportunity created by his own sort of cleverness or brilliance, whereas Martinelli felt a little peripheral to me and also had some moments where maybe he just missed the chance to, to make the right pass. Um, and 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 to, to your point, Tim, I think this is absolutely right. Asking a guy who's played very, very little all season, who's very young, filled with potential, but, you know, maybe raw to come in and play around a lot of other players who are rusty, haven't played much. You know, Maitland-Niles I thought was good, but he's he's not really a, a creative ball progressor who's going to put Martinelli through. He's He's got Kolasinac on, on his side. It's just a different kind of group to come into. So it may sound like being an apologist for him, and if that's what it is, I you know, I'm, I'm sort of willing to eat that label, Paul, because... The guy has a 10-goal, four-assist in all-comp season at 18 years old at Arsenal. That's not an accident. We've seen him score sensational goals. We've seen him not just flash some skill, but provide genuine high-value end product at an elite level at a very young age. And then miss a year. I mean, it really is difficult. You know, we... We had players that we thought were sure thing. Jack Wilshire comes to mind, and we've seen what persistent injury could do at a young age to destroy a career. Now, hopefully we're not talking that with Martinelli, who, by the way, also looks a bit taller, which I thought was interesting. He looks like he's, he's really filled out. He's growing. Um, but so I'm sort of comfortable being more patient with him, whereas with Pepe, I do understand the frustration a bit more because in the heart of your prime, as one of the really high-paid, big-name players in the squad that's expected to deliver and should really be pushing guys like Bukayo Saka and Emil Smith-Rowe, who are 20 and 21, for their place because you're right in your prime and you're a very talented player, seeing him effortlessly beat a guy at the halfway line only to blow the chance tripping over his feet or persistently cutting onto his left into traffic you know, at the end of the move, it is really frustrating. And so do you think it is a little more fair with Pepe, who... I get why people will continue to be patient with him because there is that end product. There is that shot taking, there is that trickery, but the inability to consistently turn dangerous positions into something more feels like something that for a player in his prime, you have the right to expect a little better than that. Uh, Well, the other thing there is when, when people are making excuses for him is his goals and a season ago, maybe not last season so much, his assists but he could get back to doing assists again. Um, he's um, he's a frustrating player. Uh, he's got all, there's kind of nothing he can't do, uh, skills-wise, ability-wise. Um, he just doesn't seem to have the mind where he's mapped into the game plan um, and the decision-making, and it's a shame, really. Um, I think we're seeing the player he will be. I, I always remember Arteta's comments about after he'd taken him out for a while last season in, in kind of the second half of the season, something to the effect of, and we knew he was working with him and that's why kind of why we hadn't seen him much or that was what we were s- suspected. And then he was back and he was playing and he was playing well and uh, he was interviewed on it and asked something about, uh, you know, had he worked with, had he been working with Pepe and kind of, is he kind of, has he done a Sane on him? Has he done a Arteta working with Sterling? But um, Arteta's comment was much more, I've done what I can with him. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> he says, it's up to him now, um, which was not the glowing. He basically said, yes, I've worked with him, but uh, the, the, 
question implied if he was going to keep working with them and the answer implied not really um that's it this is uh, i've done my work with him it's now up to him to do his thing it's like at, at a certain point there's only so much coaching the guy can get after that it's it's whether he can translate it in game on the pitch and so i just get this feeling this is who he is i mean he's what 26 going on 27 as, you, as Tim pointed out, or as you pointed out, he's got two <coughs> years left. Um, I think there'll be times in the season where we appreci- appreciate him more than other times, and those will be the times nobody else is scoring. Um, and we'll fi- want to find a way to get him in there. Uh, I've never been a fan of, oh, we could make him a striker or a second striker. But, you know, it's probably worth the shot at some stage if we're going to start getting our money's worth out of him in the end. Um, I still like him from the left. And so, you know, if uh, Smith Rowe needs a bit of a rest or we play him a a little more centrally or whatever, I certainly don't object to seeing Pepe from the left. I think we've all grown to love Saka from the right. So that, you know, the great thing is we now have a situation where Saka and Smith Rowe seem to start all the time, not just because they're good and they're fit, which is two great parts of it, but because Arteta sees them no longer as as projects, but actually they're here, they're now, they're they're there to deliver and they're performing in pretty much every game. Um to the point where even Smith Rowe ended up playing this game instead of Odegaard because um Odegaard was uh had a niggle. So why not play Smith Rowe? So I guess he's nowhere near his red line in terms of fitness. So mm. the upside is those guys can and will and do play most, if not all the time, which, you know, go back a year ago, we would have loved that that was the reason for the, if they were playing for the right reasons and they are. Um, but uh, Pepe, I mean, he, if he could adapt to playing on the left-hand side and really make that his own, wouldn't help Martinelli for a little while, but that would be his avenue to getting regular starts um, or work out how to play on the right with Tommy Yasu and Odegaard when he comes back in as the 10 and start being clever about his triangles because he's just so bloody predictable, you know which way he's going to go. So if you're yeah. a defender and you're smart, uh, you don't give him that extra yard and he won't get past you. I, I Clive said it on the instant reaction. I think we're all thinking it, which is just, you're not Iron Robin. Like, you have to go to the byline at some point. You have yeah. to vary this up. The other thing is just give the ball quicker. It's not always going to come off, but, you know, he he gets into positions where he's got his man beat, but he lets the, the defense recover. And it is tough, right, because you're criticizing a guy who created a dangerous opportunity by roasting someone on the halfway line and carrying it all the way into the box somewhat sensationally. But he's then the guy who ruins it, you know. So, so he's getting dinged for blowing a chance he, you know, to be dangerous that he created through his own quality. I do find that when you have players, Tim, where you start saying things like, "Oh, it's actually he needs to be on the left," or "Well, what if he's a second striker?" or "Really, if he has this partner?" Like once you're getting into that territory, yep, it's usually just the player, yeah, um, you know, because you find yourself not saying that so much about the guys that really make it. Look, there is nothing, absolutely nothing, in football lazier than just comparing one player to another from a prior. Uh, era. So I want to so do that now up. with Pepe. Yeah. <laughs> I, th- this is a really awkward fit. But I'm minded, I'm reminded a bit of Andre Arshavin. Yeah, At yeah. the time, 
also our star signing, right? Our record signing, mm-hmm. uh, as Pepe became. A guy who- 16 million. Yeah, but <laughs> but I mean, you know, what's, what's, what's an extra, oh God, do the math in your head, Elliot. Six, 56 six, million. 56 million between friends. Um, but, you know, comes in, has these moments, like scores, what, four goals against Liverpool, right? I mean, games where he just looks like he could be in, just unstoppable, scores that famous goal against Barcelona, obviously. Ashavan! Um, and maybe his highs were higher than than Pepe's have been, to be fair. But, like, I think it's the point that a player that on his day was so good, it made you want to think he was always good. But the problem is mm. he wasn't on his day enough. And when he wasn't, the mistakes and the sloppiness were bad. Now, the difference with our Shabin, he he probably didn't have the work ethic or the commitment to being a, a high-level professional, if I'm being fair. Yeah, and yeah. I don't think that that is remotely the case with Pepe. I don't get that sense at all from him, no. who looks like he's working his ass off and obviously he's in peak condition. But it... it I'll, I can use that comparison as a launch point for you to say what you have to say about Pepe, but do you think there's something fair about that? Because he was another player, Arshavin. I mean, there were some fans. I know Tim Clark, friend of mine, adored Arshavin because of those moments of mercurial brilliance, but that wasn't really the whole picture of who he was. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's a really fair comparison. Really what it comes down to is intensity. And with both of them, you can, you can tell when it you can tell when it's there and you can tell when it's not. Mm. essentially like you watch um you know pepe's performance in the cup final in 2020 you know possibly well, well given the magnitude of the game almost certainly his best game for the club and he just he looked engaged he looked like a man possessed you could see it and then sometimes he just doesn't and sometimes he still does that thing where the ball comes to him and he looks like i don't know like he looks like he's about to fall asleep before <laughs> before he's got it under control and you think oh god here we go <laughs> i mean i think all all the stuff about him needing to vary things him needing to run in behind every now and then and pick up those positions because the, the thing is i'm not really interested in pepe having the ball anywhere other than the 18 yard area yeah but the problem, but like that's because that to me, that's when he comes alive a little bit as well. That's when he really engages and you get that intensity when he's trying to get a shot off. Technically, there is no reason why, like he's not Theo Walcott, right? There is no reason why, like he can control the ball and he can pass it. He's technically really good and he can, like you said, roast players. The problem is some of the positions he puts himself in and his body position and things like that he pretty much always has to do something amazing to make something happen. And he's good enough to do it often enough. But sometimes like if his body position was just a little bit more kind of looking forward or looking a bit more engaged, he like, he wouldn't have to do like a big 10 out of 10 twist or turn or nutmeg or something incredible. Like I feel like Saka is the perfect comparison there, by the way, because his balance and his body position and his, like he can do little small movements and just totally throw a defender the wrong way. Exactly. And, And it's not quite as breathtaking, get you out of your seat, but, but it works more often. Like he'll do, he'll do something that doesn't necessarily take your breath away, but he's away and that's it. And he's, he's at the edge of the area and then, you know, he's, he's in a position to make something happen. Whereas it feels like Pepe has to do something incredible to get there and he can do it. But like, if he could just focus on 
um, you know, maybe taking up better positions, taking up more aggressive positions, just taking the ball with a little bit more intent. I know as well that actually his, um, I guess you'd call it languidness, is sometimes his great strength and sometimes why he's able to burn like those fullbacks because he just picks up that sudden bit of acceleration or he lulls you into a full sense of security and then bang, he's like, he's got his toe around the ball, he's swiveling and he's past you. But but the problem is he then like kind of has to go back and try and beat the player twice more. Like he rarely just races away from a player, you know, once he's beaten them, like he wants to, because he needs to cut back on his left foot again, which means he has to beat them again. And, you know, you look at, um, you know, players like, Perez, Bergkamp, like obviously we're talking the absolute creme de la creme of Arsenal kind of creative attacking players. They don't do that stuff. Like they're they're just simple. Like everything's just simple. And with Pep, I guess to to put a coder on this long ramble, that's the issue, right? Pepe needs to learn how to play more simply because he's got the talent to do the rest. He needs to put himself in a position where simplicity can rule rather than, you know, having to do something incredible every time he gets the ball. Yeah, and and I really think because of the way he uses his body, like – he must be so tired at the end of a game because, you know, the leaning and the fainting and the wriggling and the show you this way and go that way. And like, it's great, but I, yeah, there's, he doesn't have that compactness to his game. He'd be and, so um, much more deadly if instead of trying to skill his way to a goal, he'd won to his way with a few triangles up in that corner, open yeah, up I, a yard into the yes. box and then roast the last and, defender, not the last two or three defenders, which is what he tries to do. He tries to do it solo instead of using those two guys around him for a wall pass, a one-two, in behind, pick up the ball and, like, get in behind them. That's exactly it. Like, Iron Robin, Iron Robin isn't, like, beating players on the half or wasn't beating players on the halfway line or halfway into that, like... He was on the like he was twenty five yards out facing up a defender, and then you only have to beat one to get your shot off. And he, you know, Pepe obviously he does do that because that's where most of his goals come from. But I just like to see him try and do it a bit more often. Yeah, yeah, and I I think like it it would probably be less of a existential crisis for the fan base trying to figure out what the deal is with Pepe if a the price tag was lower. I think we've covered that, but also b we were more of a free scoring team. Right, like Pepe is in his prime, and the guys ahead of him are players like Emil Smith Rowe and Bukayo Saka, who are excellent young players, but they're not banging in the goals. Those are not 15 goal guys, they're not 12 goal guys, they're not even 10 goal guys. And here's this guy who was 72 million pounds and is in his prime. And like, I think the existential crisis comes from we're not a free scoring team and we could really use that contribution. Like, if Sack and Smith Rowe were each on four or five goals already, you know, Bamiang had 12, you know, he's not got 12. We've only played whatever the hell it is, eight games or something. But like, you get my point. It's, it's that we kind of need another big goal scorer in the team. Yeah. And he's so definitely a 12, 15 goal, uh, a season guy. Easy. If he gets the minutes, here's my hope for him. Um, apart from seeing as you, you guys have shot down my idea of playing in, in other positions. because that's No, I like it. I just think once you start going down that path, it's usually because the player himself has sort of failed All to right. well, show he, you what he is. Yeah. Here's another suggestion from Desperation. Odegaard starts slapping him around on the pitch, tells him where to go, tells him when to move, points at him. And I've, we've seen Odegaard do this with players in general and with Pepe specifically, where he like... He'll roam at the ball and he'll point ahead 
to tell the guy where to make the move so that the other guy can overlap or underlap because that's that's basically what Pepe needs. He needs to get into patterns of play like you see at Liverpool. Uh, those those basic but but absolutely uh, lethal triangles. They work on either side. If you make the right move and the other ga- guy makes that right move. You have the defense and it's not, you don't have to be a genius with the ball. You just have to make the right triangles, make the right moves, and then get a guy with quality on the ball. And I'm hoping Odegaard gets on the pitch in that spot over to the right and starts pointing at Pepe when and how to move and that he responds. It's funny because there are a lot of ways you can disappoint in a game. Like one way is to just be super peripheral. Like when Aubameyang disappoints, it's usually that you just forget he's out there basically. When Pepe disappoints, it's almost always because he's had a lot of opportunities to be more dangerous and doesn't take them. And so I have to give him credit for the fact that, like, he finds ways to get involved, get in dangerous positions, get on the ball. But, like, at some point, like we've said, you're in your prime. You you have to deliver. Um, One other thing about in his favor, he works his ass off defensively in a way he didn't at the start. Like, his Absolutely. work rate is there. And he's so he's given that, which makes me think that he at least wants to to make the changes so that's why i hope he may respond to odegaard yeah yeah well we are uh proud members of the blue wire podcast network and uh if you saw it i posted a picture a few days back of the uh blue wire podcast studio in the win in las vegas where we would have been had our event not been canceled there but we will be there again because just looking at that picture makes me have that i want to go there reaction you guys saw that picture right Mm-hmm. That's it. I, I mm-hmm. want to go there. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, as if Vegas doesn't have enough to to get you there. But yeah, that, pictures that, that of studios a- don't normally get me fired up. But that was that was That's delish. Yeah, it was. So um, we're not the only ones making. Uh, quality content. You could debate whether we are making quality content, but other people are. And I want to tell you about a podcast coming from the Blue Wire Network. So in 1995, I was old enough to remember it. I was, uh, what, five years old then, I think? He laughs internally and then cries. Uh, Cal Ripken Jr., baseball player, broke Lou Gehrig's record of 2,130 consecutive games played. I mean, that's a lot of games. Uh, it's It's a long time. And I don't know why it captured and captivated the nation the way it did, and probably beyond the nation, to be fair. But it was such a big story. Something about the work ethic and the the just availability and commitment. I mean, Granite Chaka, by the way, would have smashed that in baseball if he played them. But um, yeah, he, he, ironically, I said at a time when he's out with injury. Um, but yeah, he, he was the cover of the milk carton, and it was, just, it was just a huge, huge story. And like leading up to the moment where he broke the record, like became a national news story. But there are some salacious rumors behind how he got there. Rumors involving Kevin Costner. Uh, I won't go further. Rumors involving a power outage at uh, Oriole Park at Camden Yards. A lot of really interesting rumors that apparently there's a little more truth to them than you might have believed. And Mac Montadon and Sam Dingman, uh, they explored that. They dove into it. Uh, they dove into what was behind some of these rumors and what helped keep the streak alive. And the new Blue Wire podcast, The Rumor, these friends, lifelong Oriole fans and seekers of truth, Mac Montadon and Sam Dingman, attempt to unravel the 24-year-old story before it unravels them, it says here. Because if their investigation reveals that it's truly true, the rumor would change the way we think about baseball, fair, reality, bold, and the very nature of how myths are made and destroyed, big if true. So no biggie. Listen to the rumor on Apple Podcast, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your finer podcasts and even your terrible podcasts as well. So, Tim, um, you know, if I was the coach of a football team, football club, 
will first of all be relegated into whatever the lowest division of football is. But this is the kind of game where I think my team talk would just be time to shine. Time to shine. Time to show me that you belong in my plans. Because, and they probably would hate that, but like it, it was time to shine for these players because there's no Europa League. There's very little sort of throwaway football. Not that this is throwaway, but you know, we we may get a very big scary opponent in the quarterfinal of the league cup. We might take that pretty seriously. The FA cup, it depends how the draw goes in the league. There's, you know, there's no weak teams in the league anymore. You got to go for it every weekend. So this was a time to shine. And if Martinelli and Pepe didn't necessarily do it, maybe Rob holding did a bit. Callum Chambers scoring goal doesn't hurt. I think the player you'd have to say that shined was Eddie and Kedia. Uh, scored a Galazzo. That was nearly the miss of the century. I have a very sort of, I, w- I would say, heterodox view on Eddie and Ketty's performance that I'll, I'll share with you in a moment. But in general, I'm curious if you think he's the one player who maybe will put himself in the mind. It's tough, right? Because with Aubameyang and Lacazette and Lacazette being in great form now and coming in and making a difference, who knows what the opportunities are. But I, I really thought he played the position in a different way and added something that that could be useful. So is he the one who grasped this opportunity a bit? Um, I still think he was quite six out of ten. If oh, I'm okay, honest. you're stealing my take. Okay, go for it. <laughs> yeah, tell, tell, tell me why. I, so I think if you, like, before the goal, I was kind of looking and going, mm, this, you know, this is, a, like, I, I like the guy, I like the player, but, um, and maybe I was taking, uh, you know, taking my kind of, baggage into this but I was just like you're just not quite there like mm. you're good you're not a bad player by any means but like you're, you're not quite the level that we need and that's actually been apparent for a couple of years now and this should have ended a couple of years ago I mean I, I realized that take as well has a lot of my baggage in it but like particularly during the first half I was kind of looking at it going yeah the ball's just not sticking there just isn't that presence up front because the thing is, I mean, he's quite similar to Aubameyang in terms of, you know, in, like he's improved aspects of his kind of forward play, his all-round play and everything, but he, he's still not really there. And But he's not enough of a goal threat. Like, if Aubameyang didn't score at the rate he did, he'd be a, a bad player to have <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, because... A 10-goal-a-season Aubameyang is not a player you want. You exactly, know? You don't exactly. Want like, the, the Aubameyang we got last season, not really the Aubameyang that you want. It's, it's you know, you you can get away with being, like, you know, the penalty box striker. It's, it's you, Cavani, right? The, yeah. There are certain players that the only thing they're adding is goals, and so they have to add a lot of them to bring you value. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Even, like, you know, Ronaldo at Manchester United, like, even that's a question. Like, he will undoubtedly get more than 20 goals for United this season, but... There's, there's still the hmm, he giveth and taketh away kind of question, and and you know uh, yeah I I just thought that this was quite six out of ten from Eddie, which is not to say it was bad or anything, but before the goal I was kind of looking at it and thinking mm, yeah the the all round play is just not there, the threat probably isn't quite there. I mean I don't want to like obviously not like criticizing him for the goal because um it, it's it's really really good that he chased that down and he got um I don't know if you remember he got a very similar goal um in the Premier League against Southampton just after lockdown 
um, one of those games that was it was about thousand degrees because it was in June away at Southampton, and he went and closed the goalkeeper down and kind of like he does get a lot of goals like that. He gets a lot of goals like by kind of chasing lost causes, which is a good thing. But at the same time, like I, I almost feel like that's how he has to score in this team. You know, like I don't see him quite as often like on the end of a flowing move or anything like that. Mm. I mean, I guess he had like a good goal against Everton in fairness last season where he kind of put a cross in um, quite early. But yeah, I, I, I guess I just don't see that enough. That's the thing. Like he has quality in the penalty area. He really does. But I just don't quite see enough of it. And I have to say in this game... I didn't come away with a different impression of Eddie Nketiah. I came away with the impression this is a guy who can make a career in the Premier League, probably in the lower reaches of the Premier League, but he's just not quite what we need. And um, I I understand why we played him. And actually playing him revealed our hand for Leicester, I think, because that tells you that Aubameyang and Lacazette are both going to play. And it's just a case of whether it's in the same formation as Villa or whether it's in the 4-3-3. But... Yeah, I, I, I essentially my my impression of Eddie Nketiah didn't really change, and uh, I I still think it's it's a, a bit of a scandal that we we're going to lose him for free and that we didn't get money for him. Yeah, I mean, do we get tribunal money from him if we lose? Yeah, him? but yeah. like no, pittance. No, no. pittance. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's funny because I was expecting you and Paul to be you know pretty positive, and then I could agree but walk it back a little. But then you went probably more skeptical than even I was. So now I'm in the weird position of needing to like go go a little more positive on it because I, I actually thought he was good. I mean I think there I are qualities it was very in, good. I oh mean, yeah Paul I'm gonna let you get get to that. Absolutely yeah I was about to sorry I didn't respond to your little chat here. I, I want to get your take on it too. I just think well I'll, I'll let you go and then I'll I'll maybe find the middle ground. Cause yeah I think I think he definitely did some things that are good. And oh by the way, the slip and the near miss takes some of the gloss off the way the ball gets in the net. But the awareness, the hustle, and that sensational touch over the keeper for his goal should not be undervalued. That is elite forward play. So, fire away, Paul. He's got three touches on that goal. Two of them are excellent. Like, yeah. the uh, he doesn't just stick a foot out. I mean, all right, there's some luck there, but, like, you don't get that ball going up there and coming down right where you want it without it being a large measure of skill. Um, and I agree with Tim. He's He's had a... A bit of a pattern of chasing down almost lost causes and getting the getting lucky with them. This was one where he knew where that like once he started to chase it, he knew what he was doing with with his touch. Um, his second touch knocked it perfectly uh, to the point where he was like, "Oh, I got this!" And he was like, he was about to be real cool and get his phone out. I think the only like people are thinking the third touch was a a measure of his skill. He's like, he's a really good tidy little finisher. He just got way too cocky about what he was about to do next in his celebration. He had too much time to think about it. I think that was one for his agent and for his future contract. (laughs) And it was funny because Scott said uh, something to the effect on Twitter that uh, uh, he's lucky or he was, what was it? You said, he was. Um, he took the wrong touch to get it completely wrong, and in fact, he took the right touch to get it. Completely oh yeah, wrong. any of the other touches, you don't get that chance. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, he had the wide open goal, and even though he fluffed it, went in, which was good. I still but, don't know how it went in. By the way, like I've watched it like twenty times. But I'm still like, ah, there's a lot it. of goal. <laughs> like he almost has to hit it backwards, and he almost did to miss. 
Um, so he gets his goal. Look, uh, I'm not saying he was great in this game, but I thought he was pretty good. Uh, I Here's what I more wanted to talk about. We give him a hard time because he didn't, he kind of didn't prove himself at Arsenal, but he was good for a little while. He was asked to play a totally different role to what he's developed for or designed for, which is the fox in the box, the, the, the kind of finishing things off. We had him basically doing that Lacazette dropping deep role. And then Lacazette started, hit a, a run of form last year and took the position back. And Eddie didn't get in the team when we started playing the kind of football that gets us into the final third and gives you chances. So he had a rough last year, uh, season last year, even though we kept him around and we didn't use him in the second half of the season. Uh, again, another player I've watched a lot of outside of Arsenal, even when he was at Leeds. I thought he was pretty good at Leeds. but And people laughed that Bamford was keeping it out of the team. Well, who's laughing now? I don't know. Um, but Bamford turned out to be actually very... We now at least get why Bielsa likes Bamford and why he's his kind of striker. And even still, Eddie almost got him out of the team uh, just before his move. So... um. I I like him a lot. Uh, I don't know that he's Arsenal level, but I like him a lot. I thought he was good in this game. Um, I don't. Uh, I think he's going to have a very good career somewhere. I wish we were getting money for him. Um, he's a clever, uh, skillful player who can now do a bit of everything, a bit of hold up for a small player, a bit of connect the dots. He works hard. He chases. He presses. He should have gone to Crystal Palace. But they yeah. probably didn't offer the wages he was looking for, and he's got. He now thinks he's bigger than that. There's so many things that make you shake your head with this because, like, on the one hand, I think Eddie Nketi is a good player. And he should be playing for someone that could use him. Um, I've always thought Brighton might have been that place, but mm. like, my goodness, it's such a bad situation for us to have this guy who didn't quite make it, who now is probably going to leave on a free, who is getting minutes that we then cannot give to the other young striker we just re-signed in his basically stuck in the reserves in Balogun, right? Like, it's a weird situation. I'm not Mm. saying it's a crisis, it's terrible. It's just, ideally, you'd like to have gotten money for Eddie, who is good and should get you a fee, because a good English striker should get you a fee, and then you can give these minutes to Balogun, who needs to develop, and now we're going to have neither of those, which is just sort of weird. I thought Eddie was good in this game, and you see all the things he's good at. He is strong, he's got a burst, he can beat him in. He had that outside of the boot. He pins the defender on his back outside of the boot and turns and goes, right? Yeah. But you see with him that one little missing bit of being elite. He beats the man, leaves him in his dust, and then can't finish the move. He had another one where he shakes off a defender, you know, dropping in to that sort of false nine position, and Martinelli's free, and there's just a hole. I mean, there's half of a pitch to play him in. Eddie just doesn't see it, doesn't give it to him. And by the way, I'm not saying every player sees it and every player makes it. I'm saying at the very elite, once he spins that guy and goes, you get a goal out of that. Or once he beats that first man and Martinelli's in, you play it in. And like just a few situations in this game where Eddie did something that really impressed me. And then the last bit didn't quite come off. I think his combination of strength, pace, composed finishing, cleverness in the box. I, I, like I think he's going to be a very reliable Premier League striker. It's not going to be for Arsenal, and you know we probably should have gotten a fee for that. But like, I guess what I would say is this game confirmed to me that he's a very good player, and also confirmed to me that probably, and again, he's still young by striker standards, but probably isn't going to quite get to that echelon where you'd, you'd really 
want to hold on to him. It, it's and, a, it's and a I tricky just think one. It's going to be cl- I, I agree with you. I just think it's going to be closer than the people who I agree. think he's, yeah. he's going to rattle around the bottom of the premiership and maybe play in the champion. Like, I think he's really good. I think you know he's what it very is, Paul? clever, good link up. Yeah. If you said to me, Eddie goes on to have a pretty elite career, I would say to you now, that's definitely in the range of outcomes. I can see it. It's not there yet, but I can see it. I just, I think it's in the much smaller range of outcomes versus decent, reliable, lower, lower end of the table striker. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I think like, I I don't think he's going to have an elite, but, but there's so few of them, but that's true. He could flirt with it. Um, and that's what yeah. I, I think he'll be a really, he could be a really good mid table striker. I'll be curious. I'll be so curious to follow his career. And I think Tim is right that not getting a fee for him is a real shame because there's definitely a player in there. And maybe, maybe the real mistake was actually made a season before last when we didn't loan him out in January when he could have gone somewhere and really knocked the socks off of someone. Um, <laughs> who knows? Then maybe we wouldn't have let him go because we thought he's our future striker. So ah, who knows with this stuff? It's always tricky. Um, last little pieces here, Tim. I don't know that there are too many other performances that need to be called out. I would say this. Um, like, I think Arteta, the club, the players, however you want to phrase it, deserve credit that the mood in the camp seems pretty good. You know, you see a, a club like United imploding. And we've seen teams implode before. And here you've got players like Kolasinac, who almost certainly, you know, the club would like him gone. El Nenny, no real future at the club. You know, a lot of players, Callum Chambers starts the season, thinks I'm going to be the starting right back, and now doesn't really have a role, comes in, scores a goal with his first touch, races to the touchline, mobbed by his teammates. The mood with this group seemed real good for basically the island of misfit toys of players at Arsenal right now. I think Maitland-Niles is a player I, I do want to get to before we get out of here, but just in terms of that dynamic the camaraderie the mood the fact that you can put us a, a heavily rotated side out with a lot of players that really aren't in the plan in a meaningful way in Cedric and Cola and and you know Chambers coming on and El Nenny and still get that kind of not just performance but but I would say sort of spirit that you saw in the group I think there's some credit deserved for that, isn't there? I mean, especially when, mm-hmm. to be fair, we've been a little harsh about his man managing. You know, is this, is this guy a good man manager? Is, does he know how to keep people happy, arm around the shoulder? Well, they all look pretty happy to me. Yeah, absolutely. And and as much as a lot of these aren't like the first team guys, most of them have still had a degree of faith expressed in them. So, you know, Cedric was signed, uh, by the way, on Arteta's watch. Um. And then you've got like a player like El Nenny, who who was really kind of out in the cold and had gone out on loan, and then kind of Arteta welcomed him back in. And Rob Holding got a new contract under Arteta, you know, was given a new contract by Arteta, and he was the captain in this game. And so, and Martinelli's had a new contract while Arteta's been there. So, a, a lot of these players. Ha- and you know, Enketia, he's he's had his fair share of games. You know, he was in ahead of Lacazette. Um, you know, either side of the first lockdown yep. um, around COVID, like he's he's had good game time really up until the last kind of the last, I guess, the last twelve months or so. So, like a lot of these players, I think are, are still kind of pulling for him. Really, um, there there were some players like we had to get rid of, I guess, um, <clears throat> who perhaps you know, were, were contributing to a sour mood in the camp. But also a lot of these players, like the ones that are definitely going to go, are playing for their next contract. It's not at Arsenal, 
but Kalasanach, um, we've seen it with Lacazette recently, and Ketia, El Nenny, like all their contracts are running down. They need to impress, and they know they're probably not going to get many chances unless there's a bit of an injury crisis. So, you know, a lot of them they're they're you know they're putting themselves in the shop window, and that's absolutely fine as well. Um, and someone like Callum Chambers as well, like Arteta's expressed plenty of trust in him. You know, he became the first choice right back for a little while. So. Really, the the only one that's kind of fallen out with Arteta is Maitland-Niles. Um, but then in this game, he's playing in central midfield, which is where he says he wants to play. So And he's had a he's, few sub-performances there, in, not just in yeah. cup games, but, you know, games that really matter. Yeah, and doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's still done for him, I think, at Arsenal, mm-hmm. probably Maitland-Niles. But, you know, he's getting some shots in midfield now. So, you know, he, he can't really ask for much more than that. He definitely can't ask to be the starting midfielder. He's being played largely as a midfielder, well, almost entirely as a midfielder now. So he's got to take his chances when they come. And he's another one whose contract isn't necessarily running down um, to to a Bosman, but he's he's looking at his next club. He's looking at his next move. So I think there's a lot of that behind it. But you're right; that doesn't necessarily explain like camaraderie. Um, you know that it didn't look like a load of players playing for themselves. Um, and yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think it's very fair to say that Arteta deserves credit for that, particularly because, as you say, we've we've criticised him for the opposite. So it's only fair to, I'm not sure if correcting the record is the right phrase there, but to, to give him his due. Yeah, and the thing I'd say with Mitten now is like, it's always hard, right? Because there are different roles you can have in a team. You know, there are academy guys like Chuba Akpom or Benekafobi, and maybe Nelson is going to wind up in this category, who... Out on loan quite a bit, never really carve out their spot in the first team, don't make it at Arsenal. Then there are the guys like an Awobi or a Joe Willock who, you know, have a role in the first team for a bit. Awobi had a much bigger one than Willock, to be fair. But, like, don't hit the absolute heights of where you think you want to go and get a bid that's really a fantastic bid and great for the player and great for the club and the outcome is, is welcome all around. But then you get players, I don't know if Gibbs would fall into this category. I'm trying to think who might fall into the category, but academy players who don't hit the heights, but carve out a real useful role doing some things in the first team at a level high enough where it makes sense to have them. And I think I didn't believe Maitland-Niles was that in midfield. I thought if he could be that, he could be that at fullback, Paul, where, you know, you get rid of a Cedric and Chambers moves on and Tomiyasu's your fullback, but Maitland-Niles can come in really at both sides of fullback and be a defensive specialist. This season he's shown, and I have to confess, a much better ability to step into midfield. And even if he's never going to be a plus passer, be adequate and then do the other things he does while carrying the ball, recovery runs, you know, looking more switched on defensively, you know, off the ball. Maitland Niles is in that weird gray area where I don't see him ever locking up a place that's his in the first team, but I see him being the kind of player you just, I think as a coach would really like to see sitting on that bench for a variety of solutions he can give you depending on what's going on in the game. So I thought he looked pretty good, and he continues to look like someone who has a value to offer the Arsenal first team if he's willing to sort of take the various openings that are available to him. I mean, do you think that's sort of a fair way to characterize what he's developing into at Arsenal right now? Yeah, I mean, I'm with Tim. I think mostly I see this as a season of kind of mutual opportunity because his move wasn't right for us last year. I think, what was the plan? Everton wanted to loan him. Two-year loan? I mean, yeah, I don't, you know, that was what was we do anything to help <laughs> no. Everton? 
No. It's one of those, if they want them, don't give it to, to them. I mean, on a loan. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't going to happen for us. And it probably wasn't necessarily the right thing for him either. Um, and I would imagine they said, look, stay, stick with us for the next season. Uh, we will play you in midfield uh, as opportunities arise and the AFCON will come up. So there's definitely going to be opportunities, most likely. Um, and we will put you in a much better place in terms of shop window next summer. It'll be good for you and good for us, and we'll get you the move that works for both clubs in a better market, hopefully. Um, I thought this was his best game for us in a midfield. I thought he was really good. Uh, he had his moments where he reminded me he's Ainsley Maitland-Niles, but... Um, most of the time he was doing the good things, the good passes. He had a bit of vision. Uh, he had a chance to show his athleticism, his burst on top of everything else. I thought he was really, he really looked the part. I think he's always going to be challenged by the fact that, um, several times in a game, he does that thing where he, you can get as a defender, it might seem weird or as a fullback, it might seem weird to say, that switching off isn't so much a problem because you know when to be switched on as a defender, like they're, they're coming towards you. Uh, you're running towards your goal uh, with the player you're supposed to be marking. And he's always got the athleticism that if he's half a second off, he'll still catch that guy typically. In midfield, you're on all the time, basically, in and out of possession. And I think, I mean, I would love for him to not... Not that he needs to prove me wrong, but in, in my own mind, I would love be, to be wrong about the fact that uh, he just has this flaw that he switches off. And I think Willock has it too, but Willock always has it when he's out of possession. He switches on when he's in possession. Maitland-Niles has a bit of it, but it's a different version of it. He just, every like fairly regularly, he just looks switched off and not tuned in to what he needs to do, and he doesn't necessarily cl- pick the cleverer pass. And But Manny has skills. Um, but then he, a guy with high skills has a lot of loose touches in midfield too, so um, he looks a lot better. I really enjoyed this performance from him. I don't see him having the quality that Sambi has. I think he has the skills and a lot of the ability that Sambi has. Uh, maybe not quite the vision, but he has the skills. It's just he'll deliver a lot more flubbed passes than Sambi will because Sambi's always in the zone and Maitland-Niles mm. switches in and out of it. I think that's his major issue. And it, I think it's in his game now because I like – we talk about age and maturing and stuff, but you see some of these players like Sambi at 21. You see uh, Charlie Patino. Uh, these guys coming through and they just have it from Smith Rowe. I mean, Smith Rowe isn't that much different. Saka isn't that much different to what he was a couple of years ago. It's, it's not like they suddenly woke up and decided to be switched on and clever about what where the game is. Like they just kind of, that's the piece they seem to have at a younger age and Maitland Niles for me has always had that vulnerability of the being switched off a quarter of the time. Yeah. Um, this is going to maybe sound crazy, but like, look, it's, it's normal to sort of compare your Academy players. They're very different players, but if you said to me, I had to have one of these players as a, a relatively prominent figure in a team, Maitland Niles or Joe Willock, 
I'd rather have Maitland Niles. I mm. think he can do more for a team that wants to be a top four level team than I think Joe Willick can personally. Yeah. And like that, you know, maybe that's because Maitland Niles is still here and Willick isn't. But I, I just think his his skill set is a lot more versatile, but also the things he does well, I I think can help us, can fill a void for us. So I'm, I'm happy for him to do it. We'll, we'll get out of here, but before we do, I want to just look ahead quickly. I mean, Tim, obviously, I said this is the time to shine for these players, and I think a lot of them did. I don't think it will have made a difference, right? I mean, there's no there's no performance here that gets anyone into the into the mind of the manager for Leicester that wouldn't have been otherwise, is there? No, I don't think so. And, and obviously, it depends on, I guess it depends on some of the injury situations as well. I mean, I guess Rob Holding played well enough that if Ben White's, uh, mm. sorry, Benjamin White is not 100%, then... Don't go full Paul on us, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then, like, I, I think uh, Rob Holding was probably pretty trusted anyway. Like, I, I don't see um, that Maitland-Niles or Elneny will come into the team um, for example, um, I don't think Pepe did enough. I don't think Martinelli did enough. I mean, Nketiah is not going to dislodge either of Aubameyang or Lacazette. Leno was good, um, but I don't think enough. And, and you know, like, I don't think there was enough for him in that game to do enough to dislodge um, Ramsdale at the moment. Kolasinac, fine. But again, there's there's just no way he's going to play ahead of Tavares because Tavares is very much the future and Kolasinac is very much the past. I, and Tierney I has a chance, right? Or is that well, uh, to come I, back, I mean? I, I think so, yes. Yeah, but I think the fact that Tavares didn't mm. play in this game probably tells you what that chance is. Um, there, there were a few tells about the Leicester selection and, and I think you can presume Lacazette and Aubameyang um, <clears throat> will play and Tierney probably won't because Tavares was spared. So I, I think you can probably make those assumptions. Um, and obviously Cedric hasn't really done enough to, to dislodge Tomiyasu, albeit um, I, I listened to the conversation you guys had about Tommy Asu after the Villa game, and I, 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 I'm more on Elliot's side in terms of I still have reservations about him in possession. Um, but that that said, again, it's early, and um, I'm I'm not in like full meltdown mode about that yet, and I'm definitely not going to be clamouring for Cedric to take his place um, at this stage. So, in in short, no, I, I don't think I don't think that this will have changed his plans for Leicester. And to be fair, I don't think there was short of someone scoring. Like, if Martinelli had got a hat trick, then maybe that that you know gives him pause for re- for thought but i i don't think anything could have happened in this game really to change his thinking for Leicester. yeah i the one thing i will say to you tim is that when i express concerns about players on the patreon side of things uh so that i am safe from the ridicule of listeners to the main <laughs> pod i would appreciate if you don't out my my concerns that it's I fine i'm joining you i'm safe. joining you in okay. that battle it's fine. fair enough yeah and by the way I, they were they were gently expressed let's just be clear <laughs> they were very gently expressed this was not a writing them off i think i did say at the time uh he might be our third best center back and is our best right back i'm not advocating for cedric to play ahead of him or anything like that um just a styles thing as as i can hear clive shouting at the podcast from wherever he is listening um so then it is Lester the weekend it, it, it continues to be the case paul that this league right now, from fourth to tenth, is anybody's to guess. I, I said this in our Premier League podcast. Yeah, it's up for grabs now. You could you could throw all those names up in the air, and however they landed, you could convince me that's how the table will finish fourth through eighth. 
we are three points off fourth place, and in fourth place is a West Ham team that has Europa League football. So there is no reason why it can't be full systems go. And the one team that you would still favor to be there, Manchester United, is in the middle of a brutal run, manager on the brink, team falling out, best midfielder now missing for three games. So there's an opening here. These games against the likes of Leicester and West Ham and United and Everton, these are games that are going to really decide for us whether we're in the conversation for another eighth place finish, a top six finish, or even that potential fourth place finish. So, you you know, these these are really the important ones. As much as we get the, the big energy for games against teams like Liverpool and Chelsea and Man City, these are going to be the games that matter for us this season. So, it's a big, big game. I I think we go into it probably just about in the in the better run of form, but I say that not really having much strong knowledge of Leicester. Do you have any sort of early thoughts on how you think this one might go? Mm-hmm. I think, unfortunately, Leicester have just kind of worked out what their system is over the last couple of games. Yeah, steady. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Johnny Evans is back, which may not scare us, but he's important to how they, they play. Um, they, they've played three at the back the last couple of games, against uh, Brentford and before that Man United and they thrashed Man United. Maybe that doesn't look so clever right now. Uh, But they beat Brentford in a tight game. Um, And the other worrying thing about them is like Brentford gave them a really good game. You could look at that either way, but but Leicester are now taking their chances. Mm -hmm. Uh, they, They don't need to create a lot of chances. They've been playing two strikers up front, which is kind of interesting. Um, and they like playing against a team with a high line. This season, that's us. Um, so it could be Vardy and Iheanacho, very likely, with Mads- Madison just behind them, who's also hitting a bit of form. Uh, they've gone away from Harvey Barnes and uh, Luckman uh, as the wingers and switched to two up front and uh, Tielemans and... Uh, what's his face, Bubakari, Sumare, yeah. and Didi has been out, and so they haven't had to make that decision, but they've been playing with those two guys in midfield, and they can both ball a bit. So, uh, you know, with Lacazette la- uh, in the last game sitting on Douglas Luis, well, there'd be two people he'd have to sit on in that midfield to keep them quiet. Um, I-, I think we'll have enough possession uh, but I think that Leicester will do what Leicester does which is two, three, four times in the game break things open they went really long against Brentford on a regular basis but then mixed it up or played through midfield as well so they got a lot of different ways of playing you even with just the one setup Um, I think we just got to hope that Tielemans doesn't blast one from the midfield he seems to do one every eight games so we might be safe for a little while um, but, you know, they're dangerous. That's that's who Leicester City are. But we're hitting a bit of form. Um, uh, but there's a good chance we'll be facing three at the back. And that's why I think Lacazette plus Aubameyang makes a lot more sense here if we're going to get through that. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, they've kept one clean sheet this season. It was the first game against Wolves. Um, and then shipped four to West Ham, one to Norwich, in a game that Norwich beat them on XG and Norwich are bad. 
Only one to Man City, but almost three expected goals. Two to Brighton, two to Burnley, two to Palace, two to United, one to Brentford. So, you know, Tim, as a final word, th- this could be a little bit of the immovable object, irresistible force thing, because I think we think of ourselves as being a relatively defensively solid team, even though I know the metrics don't show that, but a lot of that is obviously the Chelsea and the City games and what happened early in the season. And we've maybe not been the attacking force we want to be until very, very recently. Now we come up against a team that will absolutely challenge us in the part of the pitch where we feel we are strongest and maybe give us opportunities in the part of the pitch where we feel we are weakest. So do you see this as being an interesting one? Because it it will be a biggest challenge to the to the place the, the the biggest challenge to the way we play in the sense that the thing we do well will be under strain and the thing we have maybe not always done well might might get a chance to shine if that makes any sense and I don't think it did <laughs> yeah yeah so I I think it will be really interesting for a couple of reasons um I I, th- I mean first of all you know Leicester uh, wh- whether we like it or not we've got to come and take Leicester <laughs> this season um yep. however underwhelming that sounds that they are a team we should be finishing above this season we should have been finishing above them in previous seasons we haven't been so that that's like um I don't know if I want to call it a scalp I'm not sure if I'd go that far but it's uh, it's a little barometer for us the interesting thing about Leicester is as Paul alluded to they they still haven't quite sorted out what they're doing because they kind of fell on this um well not fell on that's um that that's that sounds unreasonably harsh but they were doing this thing where a, a lot of people describe it as too upfront it it kind of wasn't really Ian Acho playing much more like Mo Salah it's like starting out on the right but as an attack develops kind of moving much more central and cutting in on his left foot and and that worked for them until Harvey Barnes came back because that's kind of what Harvey Barnes does from the other side. And so they couldn't have two players um, kind of doing that. And and so they've struggled for, I know Brendan Rodgers, because they weren't playing Ian Acho um, until recently. And Brendan Rodgers said, well, yeah, because we lose too much midfield control. And then they went to Palace and he did it. And they went 2-0 up and everyone went kind of, ah, there you go. But then they got pegged back to 2-2. Um, and what kind of uh, outfit draws two two at home with Palace? I mean, um, <laughs> but but so like so Rogers had a point because though they started that game really well, they did lose control of it in the midfield. So they are still kind of fiddling under the bonnet with some things, and that they beat Manchester United in a very chaotic game. But what is beating Manchester United worth at the moment? Um, but I, I'd suggest that United game really suited them because, you know, United are quite chaotic and it was quite end-to-end and they were chasing something. I mean, I doubt they're going to get that from Arsenal unless something goes really wrong. Like, you look at our away games so far, what have you seen? Um, absent maybe Brentford and Man City, but Burnley, tight 1-0. Um, Brighton, kind of tight, cagey 0-0. Like, I think it'll be a much more... I, I think if if things go how Arsenal want them to, it will be a much cagier game, and I'm not sure how much that will suit Leicester. And obviously, we we managed to beat Leicester um, away last year, and um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like I, I'm I'm I don't want to say I'm confident because that that sounds disrespectful to Leicester because Leicester are still a really good team and they're still getting some decent results and you know I wouldn't be like absolutely shocked if Arsenal went and lost it but I'm I'm actually reasonably confident for this I I do think we can give Leicester some problems 
in terms of structure. Like I, th- I think this might be one of those games where actually being um, a very structured team might work in our favour. Mm. Um, which kind of sounds counterintuitive as if being really structured is a bad thing somehow. <laughs> um, but like, I, no, I, I, I know I, what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I tend to think that Leicester might struggle more with that than, um, you know, if it was like, a if we were just swinging at each other. Yeah. I mean that four, two with United is such a weird one. And I, I find myself trying to understand what happened in that game and how it could have, and, and what it could mean for our game with them. But I think it's best to just, you know, look at this and say, I like what we did in our last game and I think not the league cup game, the Villa game. And I think we should approach it that way again. My one worry would be, can we be brave in the way we were against Villa away to Leicester? Would it be smart to do that? I mean, you might say this might be a game we're actually sitting back and trying to counter them. It isn't so bad, but we've seen like in the game against Brighton and, and stretches the game against palace. When we let ourselves get pushed back and those two lines get compressed and we're defending deeper we can't get out, and I think we make life just really, really comfortable and easy for the opposition. So I hope the lesson learned from Villa is something we're brave enough to carry to Leicester, and we will see, and I'm excited to do that. We'll try to get a Villa rewatch for patrons tomorrow. So sorry for the schedule getting moved around a bit, but that is still on the agenda, I think. And I think we can leave it there. Just a just a, a quick, sprightly 82 minutes for you uh, on a Thursday evening for us. So uh, Tim's on Twitter. Still Thanks, Tim. My pleasure as always. Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, Paul. Woohoo. My name is Alex Finn. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Um, obviously, we'll have the instant reaction for you after the Leicester game. I believe Clive will be back for that as well. So lots more to come. If you want the Premier League roundup with Lewis Ambrose, that was yesterday. Uh, Villa Rewatch, I think tomorrow. Instant reaction Saturday, main pod Monday. So plenty of stuff still to come. Hope you're doing well wherever you are. Happy, healthy, enjoying fall, having some kind of, what are we supposed to have? Apple spice something. Apple spice latte. Apple spice donuts, apple spice, chicken, I don't know, whatever you like. Just have something apple spice. You are compelled by the the gods of marketing. In any event, uh, I will leave it there because I'm rambling. We love you and we will talk to you after Arsenal 10. Lester New. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.